Welcome to Charlotte Readers Podcast, where books and writing topics are center stage and where authors give voice to the written words. I'm Landis Wade, and on behalf of my co-host, Hannah LaRue and Sarah Archer, we thank you for listening. The Charlotte Readers Podcast is a member of the Queen City Podcast Network. Listen to your city at queencitypodcastnetwork.com. Hey, readers and writers, welcome to this episode number 355 of Charlotte Readers Podcast Beyond 300. I'm here with co-hosts Sarah Archer and Hannah LaRue, and we've got a great show for you today. Yeah, we sure do. Um, first up, we're focusing on book seven in the Write Quotes series titled The Emotional Writing Journey. We're going to share some audio from the book as well as some of our favorite quotes. Yeah, and up next, we have an awesome blog post from Megan Church called When Your Career is in the Toilet. Um, and it focuses on how one writer used her career in advertising where she wrote copy for camper toilets to become a published author. Sounds very good. <laughs> With seven helpful tips for writing fiction from that awesome experience. Yeah, and we, uh, we're going to finish up today with some reading recommendations, book pitches. We've got five of them today. That's that's great. Uh, we've got some uh, community and listener engagement stuff uh, and what's coming in our, our next episodes and actually how we're going to do that uh, because coming in the months in the fall, we're going to be uh, doing something a little bit different, which will be fun. In the first episode of every month, we're going to have one of these three host episodes like we're doing now. Um, and then uh, for the other episodes each month, uh, one of us uh, will be conducting uh, an interview with a single author, and uh, that'll be great, uh, so tune in for that. Uh, but first, what's up with the co-host? Let's, uh, let's start with uh, Sarah. We know stuff's up with Sarah. What's up, Sarah? Yeah, gosh, it's it's been, uh, this is our first episode recording after taking a little summer hiatus, so I feel like there's like months of st- stuff worth to <laughs> stuff, stuff <laughs> catch up on. <laughs> um, let's see, so in July, I did some travel to Germany and Italy, um, great time sightseeing and hiking and stuff, and I also did some research in Munich for a screenplay that I'm working on, just finished the first draft of that, so that's nice. Um, I think this episode comes out on September 5th. So actually on September 6th, I'm going to be leading a class for Charlotte Lit on networking and platform building for writers. Um, This is kind of coming from my perspective as an introverted writer, Mm -hmm. (laughs) someone who just kind of wants to like hunker down into my writing basement and do the writing. Um, But I found ways to really embrace like the social part of writing and the community part and use networking to further my career. So I'm going to talk about how to do that. Um, It might be too late to sign up since this will be coming out the day before the class, but you can check on Charlotte's website and uh, see if you can sign up for that if you're interested. Um, Let's see, on October 7th, I believe, Landis and I are going to be doing the next workshop in our Write Quote series with the Charlotte Mecklenburg Library System. We've done a couple of those so far, focusing on the first three books in the Write Quote series, and now we're going to go into the um, books four through six, so it's going to be a little bit more into like the writing process and craft tips, and I think it's going to be really good. So um, look out for those in our newsletter or the library's newsletter, and you can sign up for that. Um, yeah, and I had a, a book signing recently, and I've done some interviews on other podcasts, so been keeping busy. But that's not all that's up with Sarah Archer. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I've got uh, some personal news that I might uh, share a little bit later in the fall. <laughs> all right, that sounds good. Right. Well, that I like the teaser. That's great. We'll we'll leave that uh, we'll leave that out like there. Like a good um, first yeah. chapter. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> you'll be you'll be wanting to know more. Wanting to know more. 
Uh, all right, uh, so busy summer for you, Hannah? Yeah, we just moved to Cincinnati. Um, it, it was, it's been a super busy summer. I feel like my husband graduated from his seven-year residency in June, mid-June. And then after that, it was like we our feet hit the ground and we ran up here and like got settled in. It took a little bit. Um, had to find a place for Gwen to be in daycare. She's been doing that for about a month now. And that's been like... Um, tough probably tougher for me uh than for her so i <laughs> i every day i'm like oh my gosh i it's it's funny i feel like i can hear her somewhere around me and it's not her anymore and i'm just like oh you're it's not you you're with your like baby friends now <laughs> hanging out <laughs> um, but so it's, it's yeah making <laughs> friends i i called the first day and i was like is she playing with the other babies and they're like i guess <laughs> <laughs> she like passes toys with this one baby Vivian so I guess they're friends now but um, but no that's been really good we went to our first Bengals uh, game on Friday night so that was a lot of fun um, I've never been to an NFL game before so that was really cool and been to a couple Reds games uh, baseball games and um, so it's been a lot of fun and other than that yeah he, my husband's getting settled in and his fellowship um, and we're just kind of getting used to everything. It's been nice for me to have some more, I just feel a lot more focused on a daily basis, just getting back in the swing of planning book launches and stuff like that. So that's been a lot of fun. And, um, yeah, I'm excited to be recording with you guys again. It feels like it's been like 8,000 years. So mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> nice yeah. to see your faces yeah. virtually. And, and it's through the magic of podcasting, folks. If you've been one of our uh, regular listeners, we appreciate that. You know that you've been hearing episodes all summer, but we recorded all those episodes uh, in, gosh, back in uh, April, early uh, May, yeah. because mm-hmm. uh, we, my wife and I, Janet, we sold a house in Charlotte. We were downsizing. We thought we'd be into a condo in Durham near our grandson and and. I think it was June, but there was a big old fire, and that put things back a couple of months. And oh. but we're in, we've got a little place in Charlotte, uh, and we had Simon, the grandson, come visit us last week for a week of camp at Granite and Grandis's oh. apartment in Charlotte. And <laughs> wow. uh, we, you know, I, I, to, to Hannah's point, I can't walk down the hall now without seeing him running up and down the hall. You know, in my imagination oh. here. You know, so Sweet. Uh, yeah, so he's he's been fun, but. Uh, He's learned this word. It's called mine, M-I-N-E, and he says it very, very vociferously, no matter what. New favorite word. <laughs> mine. Yeah. 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 Uh, no, but it's been fun. And uh, so, yeah, I've been, we've been going through some changes in terms of living space, and <clears throat> I had to figure out how to hook up the podcast gear in this new place where I'm recording now. And uh, when this comes out on September 5th, uh, Janet and I will be on a plane uh, to... I think uh, to Rhode Island, uh, we're going to go to Providence and then head up the coast of uh, Cape Cod for our 40th uh, wedding anniversary. So she Woo-hoo! put up from, with me for that long. <laughs> Can't <That's laughs> believe uh, Yeah, yeah. Uh, I'll even have a birthday that week too. So big, big oh. times there. And then, uh, you know, we got some stuff going on in the fall. As Sarah said, we've got um, the... Uh, deal with the library we're doing we're also the three of us are going to be and we'll talk about this more later in the show we're going to be doing um, a presentation at the north carolina writers network at their fall conference in the first weekend of november 
on the Right Quote series. So uh, if you're a North Carolina writer or you just want to hang out with North Carolina writers, that's a great weekend, a lot of great classes. You'll be able to network and take classes and uh, meet the podcast team and see our books. So that'll be fun. And, uh, yeah. And, of course, Sarah and I are uh, working on this little thing we're going to put out sometime this fall called Death by Podcasting. We we, we think that's going to be the final title. But uh, what do you like think, it. Anna? Tid- title good? I like yeah. that. Yeah, I like that. Okay. All right. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> you heard it here first from from yeah yeah uh, yeah so that's what's going on um, I guess uh, yeah let's uh, let's move into Act One um, we really only uh, we're only pitching one book today it's uh, it is uh, the month that we're celebrating the seventh book in the Right Quote series uh, it's titled the Emotional Writing Journey. Yeah, this is a really good one. Um, We're excited to share these quotes. They're inspirational. They're practical. They come from over 500 podcast interviews done with hardworking, award-winning, and New York Times bestselling authors in more than 33 U.S. states and five countries. Yeah, this book reveals how writers really feel about the emotional aspects of being a writer. It's one of my favorite topics. I love talking about this kind of thing. Um, So this is going to be a lot of fun. We have audio of the foreword and of the reflections, and we will share some of our favorite quotes from the book. Yeah, the topics covered in this book include uh, rejection, pressure and fear, encouragement, self-care, and perseverance. And we're going to start out uh, by playing uh, the forward, which Sarah wrote and performed right now. Writing is a pursuit perfectly situated to make you crazy if you let it. It's all subjective. It's deeply personal, requiring you to mine your own emotions and memories and develop keen-eyed self-awareness. The publishing marketplace is extremely competitive and constantly in flux. Your work as a writer is never done. You can revise and revise and never feel finished. And the tasks of writing, researching, reading, marketing, and platform building can expand to fill any amount of time you give them, then always demand more. Writing can be an emotional roller coaster. Even reading the quotes in this book has been an emotional ride for me. I found joy, inspiration, and recognition so many times in these pages, but there have also been moments where I've had to remind myself that other writers' success stories don't make me a failure, and that I can absorb the excellent advice offered throughout this series without feeling the pressure to implement it all today. We all try to find our own ways to cope with the ups and downs of the writing life. The authors in this book share so many gems of wisdom from their wealth of experience. Let me add one thought from mine. I try to approach my writing with the attitude of the traditional serenity prayer, seeking the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. For me, that means attempting as much as possible to separate the writing itself from everything that goes along with it. I have to compartmentalize in order to be creative. I can't write with the feeling of people looking metaphorically over my shoulder, whether they're people I might want to impress or imitate, people I'm afraid of disappointing or offending or shocking or readers, or critique partners, or editors, whose expectations I might anticipate. I have to separate the actual writing from all of the networking and marketing and administrative work that go into trying to get that writing into the hands of readers. This separation also also requires compartmentalizing emotions. In the writing process, all emotion is fair game. I want to laugh and cry with my characters to let myself feel their joys and frustrations and fears and sorrows as deeply as possible. But I try easier said than done, to treat the rest of the writing journey as what it is, a business. There can certainly be joy as well in the business life of a writer, but because so much of that part is out of my hands, I try to achieve my satisfaction in creating something that I find artistically fulfilling. 
If I can make something good, then I'm doing my job. Everything else is a gift. The sections in this book are arranged in a careful order, starting with the struggles of rejection and ending on a high note with perseverance, because perseverance is really what every writer needs, that focused commitment to your work, despite all the highs and lows that can go with it. As Craig Nova says, the bottom doesn't last forever, and the top doesn't last forever. What can last forever, though, is your words. Let those speak for themselves, and don't let the rest define you. We as writers are fortunate in that this thing we love to do can be so wonderful and so powerful that even when it sometimes makes us crazy, we want to do it anyway. I hope these quotes are evidence that whatever emotions you've experienced as a writer, you are probably in good company, and that they inspire you to bring your full heart to your craft again and again. All right. Uh, well said, Sarah. Thank you. Yeah, that was good. I feel, I feel like um, the, the topics in this book are so um, relatable and central to so many writers in their writing lives that we could talk about things like how to deal with rejection and how to kind of take care of yourself as a writer all day. <laughs> like true. writers love to talk about these things. <laughs> and that's part of your job, Hannah, is taking care of uh, writers and making them. Being a therapist. Uh, yeah. <laughs> you are you are a publicist slash therapist, right? Yeah. Yes. Uh, it was, uh, I think, um, what's this guy's name? He was he, a publicist I followed a lot when I first got started doing this. He was, he worked with Stephen King and like a bunch of these really big names. And he was like, did a tweet that was basically saying, a publicist is a cinema, synonym for therapist. <laughs> and I was <laughs> like, I feel that. <laughs> I can like, why, it. why is nobody showing up? Why, yeah. why, why is nobody buying my book? Let's why, talk okay. about that. Yeah. Yeah. We so, actually have a, a um, character in our Death by Podcasting novella who is a, a therapist for writers. Yes. Yeah, we won't yeah. give any spoilers great. on her, but. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Her, her company is, uh, I, I think, is. Uh, Therapy rewrite, re, author rewrite therapy services or something like that. Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. <laughs> Love it. She's also a suspect, <laughs> by the way. So Hannah, you know, <laughs> yeah, it's me. Yeah. Twist. <laughs> Han it's Hannah actually did it. me. <laughs> <laughs> the publicist did it. I yeah. do love true crime, so I've been yeah. studying up. <laughs> so um, I have a recording that I did of my reflections. We're going to actually talk about two or three quotes each that we liked out of the books, but. When I listened to it, I realized I must have had some kind of head cold in the spring. So I'm just going to read a couple of sections from my reflections rather than the whole thing. And, uh, and we'll do that now. And then we'll go into some of the quotes here. But uh, th these are just a few pieces uh, from the essay I wrote called Lessons I Learned from the Quotes in This Book uh, from the Emotional Writing Journey. Before you strike the match to produce the next great work of literature, you now know at least three things from the quotes in this book. One... The universe loves to dump on writers. Actually, she enjoys it. Two, if the universe weren't already a most sizable antagonist, writers make life more difficult with their self-doubts. And three, writers are tough. They persevere to persevere. Hindsight tells us that writing life struggles are tough enough without putting extra pressure on ourselves. We should trust ourselves more. We should have more faith in what we're doing, believe in ourselves, because if we don't, why should anybody else believe in us? This book is put together much like a hero's journey. We begin with rejection, bam. Next, we throw in pressure and fear, wham. We then dangle a little encouragement, then self-care, and then perseverance, a quality that gets us to come to some kind of ending. But first things first, did you ever enter a writing contest and fail to place or submit to a publication and hear crickets? 
If so, you are a reject. <laughs> did it did it happen again? Well, yeah, sure it did. And again, only if you kept trying. You know why? Because if you are a writer, and let's circle back here for a moment, the universe is out to get you. Some rejects manage to win several contests in a row. Others go on a run to publish widely in respectable publications. Others get book contracts with small press publishers. Others sign with big publishers, and others get large advances. For others, everything is going great until the trolls in the universe read their books. They will say the nastiest things in their reviews. So, too, do the highfalutin critics who are paid to find fault. Why? Because since they can't write, they want you to believe you're no good at it either. Now, some writers will escape the wrath of the trolls and critics and get a re-up with their publisher. Book two comes out, but the gods who like book one are not satisfied. Expectations are too high. Your publisher cancels your series. You're back to where you were in the beginning, the writer who thinks poorly of themselves. As a writer who has received more rejections and successes, I can come up with no better analogy to the life of a submitting writer than the experience of a scary roller coaster ride. One minute you're riding high, seeing over the treetops into the horizon, excited about the view, and the next, the bottom falls out. You scream at the sudden drop and suffer pain in the neck from the whiplash. And for what? Another ride? A chance to go again? Hell, it makes no sense. <laughs> All right, I'm going to wrap it up here. Um, so here's a little paragraph. My co-host Sarah Archer was onto something when she said a rejection. Focus on what you can control and let the rest go. This is applicable to so many things in life that I treat it as a personal mantra. But for writers specifically, it's key because there's relatively little that is in your hands as a writer. You can't control what other people are going to respond to your work and how smart and naturally talented you are, or what the marketplace wants today, or what it might want in the future. And listen to this story, which I repeat often. New York Times bestselling novelist Steve Barry said, From 1990 to 2002, I wrote eight novels. Five of them went to New York publishing houses, and they were rejected a total of 85 times. It was the 86th time that I made it, 12 years after I started. So my road to publishing was a very long process. And Chris Fabry, an awarding author who has published more than 80 books, said this. If you don't want to get hurt, don't write. If you don't want to have layers of your own soul exposed to people who say, didn't really connect with that, don't put the words down. Because you will be rejected. And in wrapping up here, these authors remind us not to judge ourselves. They remind us to keep our expectations reasonable. They tell us not to be shaken by rejection and to remember that we have friends who want us to succeed. They tell us to work together, to remain passionate, to take care of ourselves, to have accountability, and to have accountability partners who support us, to have a position neutrality about the self, and to listen to that soft voice in the back of your head that says, you can do this. Uh, and I'll finish up here um, with this uh, short paragraph. These authors also tell us that the writer can find a way out of the darkness and into the light. They can fulfill their definition of writing success. They will do it because they are passionate, because they stick with what they love doing, because persistence beats talent every time, and because the difference between somebody who's published, if that's your goal, and somebody who's not, is the somebody who did not give up. It's like wrestling with yourself. You'll hit rough patches. You will think writing is drudgery. You will feel sometimes, as Ellen Morris said, like you are chipping away at a mountain with a pair of nail scissors. But you're not alone. Nope, you're not alone. And here's why. Your story has value. And I'll stop there. Okay.
So much good stuff in there. <laughs> yeah. I love the the thing you said about like man versus universe um, or the writer against the universe. Like there's, uh, what is it? Like the four main types of conflict in writing, like man versus man, man versus God, man versus nature, <laughs> man versus himself, I think it is. And like yeah. as a writer, sometimes it does feel like it's you against the universe. <laughs> but I, yeah. I think like so many people feel that way. So it's one of the, one of the things I love about reading the quotes in this book is you see writers from like all different walks of life and different career paths and bestsellers and they all feel these things they've all experienced it yeah yeah it is uh you know you love doing it you want to do it everybody wants to be read uh uh, and uh you know no matter how big somebody gets there's always somebody else that's a little bit bigger right yeah (laughs) uh well let's do this let's run through a few quotes um Hannah, why don't you start us off? Pick one and uh, share it with, with the listeners. Okay. Hmm. Let me think. Uh, I love the one I that kind of stuck out to me first from Danny Romine Powell, who, you know, a lot of our listeners, I'm sure, are familiar, charlatans, charlatoyans, or whatever, however you <laughs> pronounce that. She's just wonderful. Um, she says, I love having poems out in magazines. I aim high. I figure you're never going to get in the Paris Review unless you send poems to the Paris Review. Um, and it kind of goes back to the perseverance thing that you're, you know, both of you kind of put a big emphasis on that. Um, it's, I think you keep moving and you keep going. And my kind of philosophy too, with publicity is just like, I mean, you're never going to get it out there if you don't try, (laughs) like, let's just put it everywhere and see what happens. Um, you know, I think that's just a great mentality to have. If you don't ever submit your work, you're not going to see it where you want to see it. So if you want to have it, um, in a big magazine or in the New York times, you know, if you want to submit a story to the Washington post, you're not going to see it in the Washington post unless you submit it to the Washington post. You know, I just thought that was great. Yeah. You can't, uh, can't make a shot unless you shoot it. Uh, but it is scary, right, Sarah? You've got a quote from Christy Hallberg. Yeah, yeah. So this is kind of related. Christy Hallberg says, it's scary because you don't know how people will react to it. I can work on promotion. I can do podcasts and interviews and readings. But how people will react is completely out of my control. I'm so type A that it drives me nuts. That I don't have any control over what happens. <laughs> um, I picked this one because I can relate. <laughs> yeah. I am also type A. And yeah, there's so much in the life of a writer that you just don't have control over. Um, you can't control people's reactions. You, even in the creative process, you only have so much control over yourself and your own mind and what you're producing. Um, but you can, you know, put your butt in the chair and make the time to write. And that's like the number one thing that you can actually have some control over. So I try to keep my focus on that. And you just have to remind yourself that like stuff that you can't control, um, there's really no point in stressing over it. Yeah. And so, I'll add a little humor here with um, the first quote I'm going to mention. It's from David Oakley. He wrote a uh, a collection of essays, humorous essays. Uh, and what he says is, if your expectations are reasonable, lower them. And uh, I think I think that maybe Hannah, you should put that on your uh, your, your oh engagement God. letter, you know, with, with your clients. <laughs> I don't know how well that would go. <laughs> I'll drop that in a little later. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it's, it, it's true because, um, you, you know, there are lots of things in the world competing with your book or your story or whatever you've written that, uh, you want, uh, people to pay attention to. And, uh, 
uh, even after, you know, the pandemic, there's not as much, um, you know, events are a little bit different now. Maybe there's more online than there is in person or it's hard to get people to come out. So, you know, if your expectations are reasonable, lower them and have a good time with the folks that show up. Or if if you think you're going to sell a million books, uh, maybe drop that back to, yeah, a few, a few less than one million, <laughs> and, and go from there. Nine hundred thousand. Uh, and uh, Hannah, you've got a you've got a quote from the uh, author of the who won the National Book Award, Jason Mott. Yeah, I love this one. I, he says, "I would tell my younger self to be patient. When I was younger, I was in such a rush to be good at writing. I kind of hated myself for not being as good as I wanted to be. Enjoy whatever stage you're at in your writing, and just get the time in the seat." Um, I like that a lot just because I think patience is definitely super important, um, for a lot of people, but also, you know, as a writer and a creative person, you, you kind of have to give yourself grace. And if you're putting in the time, that's the most important thing. Um, you know, you can't rush the process at all. And it's kind of, I know we've talked about this a lot on this show, just it's like Elizabeth Gilbert and the big magic concept of just sort of you, you wait for the, you can't really force the creativity. It visits you when it wants to. Um, so being patient when you're, you know, kind of waiting for the story to come to you, but also just like, as you're getting to be a better writer, you can't really like, be nice to yourself and, and give yourself the time that you need. And it'll kind of, um, it's, it's more fun that way, I think worked out for him so yeah, and, uh, <laughs> yeah so true yeah he, yeah he did he he wrote a, hell all right. of a book and by the way that was the title of his book <laughs> yeah and it uh the winner of the national book award um and you know he's talking about uh staying in the seat staying after it uh but uh you know sometimes you can get stuck and carrie knowles has a con- uh, a quote about that yeah. So Carrie says, if you get stuck, I always say, don't turn off your computer, turn away from your computer and start writing by longhand, um, which I, th- I think is a great idea. I don't usually, if I get stuck, I don't necessarily write longhand. Um, I know that works really well for some people, but at least that idea of like just doing something different as opposed to just shutting down and being like, okay, I can't do this. This is terrible. Like, what am I thinking? Um, like sometimes it can help even to do something really simple, like just change the font on your document, on your computer, or change the color. Um, little tricks like that can kind of wake your brain up or asking yourself like, okay, what if I wrote this scene from the perspective of a different character? Or what if I just like dropped a bomb, you know, literal or metaphorical in the middle of the scene and did something totally crazy to change the plot up? Like just finding ways to kind of shake yourself out of the, the rut that you're stuck in um, can be really helpful. But it, it goes back to the idea of persistence. Like sometimes that happens when you're in the middle of the creative process and you feel like you're stuck and just finding a way to kind of pivot as opposed to giving up. Yeah. The brain is a crazy thing. We're, we're, we're trying to trick ourselves into being happy here and mm-hmm. <laughs> into being, being more positive about things. But it's, it's I, I found that, uh, you know, if you dwell on things or think too much about them, um, one antidote for that potentially is just doing something, you know, becoming active in some way and if you get stuck and whether you're stuck in what you're writing you're stuck in your brain about something if you start doing something and you get excited about what you're doing uh the brain will forget about that other problem because it's focused on something else you know so kind of shifting a little bit so i guess we need to trick ourselves into being a happy writer you know (laughs) Uh, and uh but i guess i'm gonna have to throw this in from jill mccorkle uh 
because it's uh, reality sinks in. It's, she says, I would tell myself that a big part of this game is falling flat on your face. Uh, and again, I think that's important to into the expectations category we talked about with David Oakley, but to recognize that until you fail, it, you're not going to have as much chance to succeed because uh, until you write something that's not very good uh, and you get feedback on it, it's not going to get better, right? So it's all part of the process. But the same thing is true with uh, you know things come out at different times, different circumstances, something does better, something else. But, you know, that failure, if you stay with it, maybe – Maybe it makes a difference, but I mean, it, she's a great writer, and uh, she's got a lot of uh, really well-received books out there in the world. And she says, "Hey, you know, you got to fall on your face." Um, but uh, research shows something, according to Amy Williams, right, Hannah? <laughs> yeah, uh, Amy Williams says that research shows the nicer you are to yourself, the more you get done. <laughs> I feel like that's definitely true. You know, again, it kind of goes with. Um, the whole idea of being patient with yourself, but just being kind to yourself and um, like, don't beat yourself up about where you're at in the process or anything like that. Or if you're not doing the most, I mean, I feel like that can kind of apply to a lot of different careers. Like I, as soon as you kind of let go of this idea of being perfect or doing the most, um, that was always my thing. I'm like, I haven't done the most today. Um, but it's, that's okay. It doesn't have to be like that every day and it shouldn't be like that every day. And you kind of have to be nicer to yourself. And I think the, the work is better after that point. Yeah. We've got a quote here, um, from Hope Anderson. Tell us how this one fits into the emotional writing journey. Sarah. Yeah, this one is uh, short and simple. Hope Anderson says everybody can make time to write, um, which I think is a good truth to hear. It's also a little bit of a hard truth to hear because <laughs> I know like for me and I think for a lot of writers too, that's one of the top excuses sometimes for why you're not writing. It's like, oh, I don't have time. I've got so much else to do. And most of us have a lot of other things to do. You know, people have jobs, they have family, they, you know, need to exercise and eat and take care of themselves too. Um, everyone is going to have other, other commitments, even people who are full-time writers, I hear talk about struggling to find time to write. <laughs> Somehow it always seems to be a struggle. Um, but everybody can make time to write, even if it's five minutes a day, just like keeping your work in front of you and keeping it fresh in your mind. It might take you a while, but eventually you'll get stuff done. Um, so yeah, just making that time. And it goes back to the idea of control too. Like there's a lot that you can't control in this process, but you can control making the time in your schedule. Um, so I think that's a great thing to kind of focus on, especially when everything else seems daunting is just being like, okay, I, I made some time to write today. Like that's a win. That's great. And I, I'm going to finish with a quote here. Um, again, we've just given you like nine quotes from, I don't know how many, 200 and some quotes mm-hmm. in this book here. Uh, I made reference to this uh, in the paragraphs I read earlier. From, from my reflections, uh, this is Kathy Pickens. Uh, she is an award-winning mystery writer and true crime writer. She says, persistence beats talent every time. Now, if we take ownership of that and we believe in it, um, you know, it pretty much means that the, that the writing world is open uh, to most people who want to put in the time and the effort. Um, it's sometimes the most talented who don't put in the effort uh, that don't succeed as well as those who maybe have a little bit of talent, but not quite as much, but who really, 
really, really get after it. And that's true not just in terms of uh, the actual writing itself, but sometimes more importantly, and this is Hannah's area of expertise, is actually getting out there and beating the bushes and letting people know that there's something that you've written that uh, people might enjoy reading and finding the readers that might enjoy it. And that takes that takes time. That takes effort. That takes a lot of, oh my gosh, I got to go out and plan all these uh, events again. I got to go out and uh, figure out how to do uh, online advertising. And I got to, last time I did it, I didn't do it very well. And I got to try that again. You know, so it's like, there's a lot that goes into that, but I think the people that stay with it, um, you know, have the success that they want to have, or just incrementally, uh, it, it, it gets a little bit better. Um, what do y'all think? Persistence? Is that a... I think so. I mean, honestly, I've known writers over the years, like people I've read their work um, when they were kind of in the earlier stages or in, in writing groups and stuff that I was in, who I, you know, not that I would have said this to them, but I would never have thought they would make it as professional writers, and they have. There are people who are very persistent and they keep at it and they love the craft and they just write, write, write all the time and they go to events and they read craft books um, and they've gotten jobs as TV writers or published books or things like that. So, yeah, I think that just being persistent and really kind of immersing, immersing yourself in the craft and in the writing life as much as you can, um, even if you're not naturally who was it like Mozart who was like a child prodigy of music like if if you're not the natural like Mozart of writing um if you really want it you can make it happen yeah well the next year Hannah's going to be entering the persistent stage with Gwen because once they get closer to two it's it's uh they become a little more uh you know strong-willed you know yeah I mean she's already kind of like that now I feel like she's just like (laughs) she knows what she wants and if she doesn't get it she just is like she realized this past weekend she likes uh, chocolate ice cream a lot um, and so we were sharing ours with her and whenever we would put it in our mouth she would just be like yeah. and I was like wow okay <laughs> future writer well, maybe I, <laughs> after Simon spent a week with his uh, with uh, Janet and me here in Charlotte uh, he got back and they were in a store and he had a meltdown because they wouldn't buy him a toy and I said Really? Why did that? And I said, "Oh, okay, I understand now." <laughs> yeah, because we like, just been we just been <laughs> spent a week spoiling him, right? Yeah. yeah, I want that. You can have that. I want that. You can have that. That's your job, though. Grandparents, it's yeah. like, sure, do what you want to do, and yeah. you come back exactly. to mom and dad, or mom, 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 dad, dad, whoever yeah. is at home, and you're just like, yeah. um, <laughs> that's not how it works here. <laughs> All right, we'll wrap this up, folks. Uh, we hope you go out and. Uh, and by the emotional writing journey, uh, you can support the podcast when you do it. Uh, they're not very expensive. You can get them online. Um, the first one in the series, uh, which is The Writing Life, you can get free online. Just download that. Uh, I think the others are like four ninety nine to download um, online. You can get them in Parker Books has them as well. You can get the print books online as well. They're out there. Uh, they fit in your pocket. They're the kind of thing that you can take with you and uh, flip through and get inspiration from. Uh, so yeah, we hope you check it out. Uh, it's from the first, uh, 500 plus interviews we did on the podcast through the regular podcast and the Patreon channel. Uh, lots of good information there. I enjoy going back and reading through them. Uh, we hope you will like them as well. For all things Charlotte Readers podcast, check out charlottereaderspodcast.com. You can find a list of all episodes, an alphabetical guest list with links, detailed show notes for each episode, a community blog, and more. We'd love to have you visit. And so now 
we're going to shift to Act 2. Um, we have a blog post today from author Megan Church. Uh, Hannah, can you tell us about Megan? Yeah, so Megan is the author of The Last Carolina Girl and the Girls We Sent Away um, after she got her bachelor's in English from Indiana University, which is right down the road from me now in Cincinnati. Um, Megan built a career as a storyteller and a freelance writer. She shares her storytelling expertise by helping stuck writers get unstuck through editing and story coaching. Um, She's a Midwesterner by birth, but she now lives in North Carolina with her high school sweetheart, three children, and a plethora of pets. Oh my god i want to know um what animals she has <laughs> to follow her storytelling visit her website at meganchurch.com and that's m-e-a-g-a-n church.com and her title which when i first saw this when it was submitted i was like i don't understand when your career is in the toilet and then i was thinking you know her career was yeah not doing well but actually <laughs> she started writing out about toilets so let's hear what she has to say about that right now Hi, I'm author Megan Church, and I'm here to talk about when your career is in the toilet, five creative writing tips learned in a cubicle. I used to write about RV toilets. Fresh out of college with a creative writing degree and full of idealism, I took a job at an advertising agency. I assumed it would be a temporary gig while I wrote and published my first novel. One year later, I hadn't written a novel, and that full-time cubicle work had flushed away my optimistic notion that I would change the world one word at a time. Instead of making a difference with my day job, I spent a significant portion of my time researching and promoting camper toilets. That year, I lamented the means of my paycheck, knowing I had better stories to tell than a carefully crafted press release. But what I didn't know was that I was learning to write in a way my writing professors did not teach me. On the other side of the cubicle wall sat my manager and mentor. On each press release, newsletter, brochure, and website I wrote, my manager scribbled copious notes and changes. Over time, not only did my drafts receive fewer edits, but those lessons began leaking into my fiction writing. Nearly 20 years later, I see the influence of that guidance in my fiction writing. The following lessons I learned in that cubicle helped me become the published author I am today. Number one, lead strong. On those early drafts that sounded more like creative writing than marketing materials, my manager repeated, don't bury the lead. He instilled in me the importance of putting the essential information up front. I'd argue the same holds true for novel writing. Pull the reader into the story immediately. Don't expect her to wade through pages of even well-written but not pertinent information. Honor your reader's time by getting to the point quickly. Number two, write lean. Adjectives and superfluous information and descriptions can distract from the story. Be simple and direct. I perhaps took this advice too much to heart. As the first draft of my debut novel, The Last Carolina Girl, came in under 60,000 words, I realized how accustomed I had become to writing lean. Through revisions that focused on world-building and character development, my debut novel reached a more desirable length of 80,000 words. But anything that was added was done so with purpose and intentionality, not simply to bloat the word count. Number three, let go. When writing for clients, the projects and end results belong to them. When writing fiction, I have to remember that not everyone will receive and engage in the text in the same way that I will. 
So if I want to publish a book for a greater audience, I have to understand that I cannot control all parts of the story nor readers' reactions to it. For the sake of the greater story and the interest of the reader, I cannot become too attached to my words. Number four, start somewhere. I was young the first day I walked into that ad agency, but I didn't think I was. I thought I knew far more than I did. My mentor's pen and the toilet account showed me otherwise. While I had hoped to jump from college to novel writing, I needed years of experience and life lessons to get me to a place of being ready to journey the long and winding path to publishing. And number five, embrace expertise. Writing can be a lonely business, but it also takes multiple hands to produce an end product. Crafting the story is only one part of the process, so listen to the expertise and wise counsel of your agent, editor, and publisher. If you're not there yet, find a critique partner. My former manager proofed early drafts of my novels, providing me with pages full of comments, edits, and questions. As daunting as receiving constructive criticism can be, it's a necessary part of the process. Be humble enough to listen, adjust, and edit so the story appeals to an audience other than yourself and can reach beyond your friends and family. It took me about two decades longer than I thought it would to sign a book deal. But with each word I wrote, each phrase I strung together, I learned a little bit more about writing. Publishing takes time and perseverance, and sometimes the pit stops along the way strengthen our craft in ways we couldn't have predicted. All right. Uh, thanks, uh, Megan, for that uh, post. Uh, you, you took it uh, from the toilet to a much better place. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. Uh, and there's there's information here not just about uh, writing, but about uh, you know the, what we were talking about earlier in terms of not, not the story is not for everybody, you know. And so you know, be open to that. But let's, Sarah, some of your thoughts. Yeah, well, it was interesting to me listening to this because it ties back a lot to the um, Jason Mott quote that we just heard about being patient and embracing the stage of your writing journey that you're in. I mean, I'm sure nobody's dream as a writer is to be writing ad copy for camper toilets. Like that's not why you get an English degree. That's not why you become a writer. That's not where you want to end up in your career. But look at all of the great craft advice and technique that she learned through doing that work. Um, and it might've been maybe felt like drudgery at the time. It might not have been where she wanted to be, but it sounds like it really made her the writer that she would become and that she was able to be later. And without that early training, um, she wouldn't have been as successful. And, and we hear that with so many writers on this show. I feel like people who start out as journalists or they're lawyers writing briefs or they're writing ad copy or um, copywriters for different companies and, and they're doing writing that's maybe more practical and less creative, but there's a lot that they learn from that that they can then take into doing their own projects later on. Yeah. Hannah, your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, I totally agree with that. And I think... Um, most people, writers, any, anything like filmmakers, it, you kind of start somewhere. Um, and I, I know I like that she said that too. It's like, you got to get started. Um, and being in a cubicle, like, I mean, that was sort of, I, I know that feeling where you're like going to a cubicle and you're just like, have all these lofty go dreams and things. And you're like, this is just a placeholder until I, you know, 
get to that point and then you become kind of complacent and you have less time and like all these different things. Um, it's frustrating, you know, but it's like, if that's what's driving you to, and it sound, I mean, she, I like that she kind of talks about that a little bit, just like this isn't, you know, she kind of realized a year later she hadn't written the book yet. She hadn't done all of these things, but that doesn't mean it's not going to happen. You know, you use it to kind of move yourself forward. Um, and you can kind of take a step back and say like, okay, well, what did I learn about the actual craft while I was sitting here doing this? Kind of like you're saying, Sarah, there's, I mean, no one really wants to be writing quippy one-liners about toilets or maybe they do. I don't know, <laughs> but <laughs> you Dep- know, depends on what they're getting paid. It huh? sounds kind of cool. Right. I don't know. <laughs> Probably get kind of creative with that. I don't, but you know, it, you, it just, it all goes towards the same goal. If you let it, I think that's the big thing is like, you have to like allow it to push you forward versus staying in that, place where you're kind of just like okay well this is it for me um but i don't know we're all we're all looking for motivators and i think she found hers in a toilet so good job megan (laughs) and and i think the first two points she made are uh, for me probably well one two and five i think but the first two were lead strong and write lean um and given the fact that uh a lot of people in this country don't even like to read uh, and those that do have so many books they want to read, it's very important that you grab the attention of the reader early. As she said, don't bury the lead, you know, get to the point, uh, have a nice uh, inciting instant, pull the reader in, don't feel like you got to tell a whole backstory and introduce these to eight different types of flora and fauna in the first, uh, you know, three or four pages. But then again, um, number five was uh, embrace expertise, get feedback, get uh, hear from readers, hear from editors, hear from others and uh, accept them as, you know, well, they're notes, right, Sarah? Yeah, which, you know, sometimes you don't want to hear the notes, but uh, it's an essential part of the process. And it sounds like in her case, because it was part of her job, she kind of had to take those notes from her boss, um, which is probably good training. I think all writers could use that a little bit. (laughs) I like the way Sarah calls them notes because, you know, you, you could call them, something else like you you could call them pretty much anything when you call them notes just like you know somebody's writing you a note you know it's nice of them to do that you know (laughs) it's not like they're writing a critique i think of critique when i hear notes i feel like notes makes me feel like i'm in like a class in college and i'm just Mm -hmm. like oh we gotta take notes again why (laughs) that's me (laughs) but when you're receiving notes or supposed to receiving critique it feels a little better you know it's like maybe we should call them notes groups or something write me a note (laughs) heart-shaped note Uh, check the box yes or no do you like my book (laughs) (laughs) yeah but 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 it's true i think and she's got some great points here that um you know pull the reader in because if you don't you don't grab them in the first 25, 30, 40 pages, um, you know, you're done. I think I'm I'm speaking to a book club called the Chapter 3 Book Club uh, today. The day we're recording this, I will have done it by the time this comes out. But uh, I wondered about that, and I asked the question. I said, did they call themselves a Chapter 3 Book Club because if you don't pull them in by Chapter 3, they're not going to finish your book? And the answer was yes. That's that's how they named themselves. (laughs) (laughs) So... Try to try to pull your uh, your reader in by chapter three, or, or they might be putting your book on the shelf. We have a newsletter called Beyond Three Hundred, and we'd love to have you sign up. 
This is where we share what's coming on the podcast, provide helpful links, and keep you updated on the podcast and the hosts. You can sign up at charlottereaderspodcast.com or the websites of the hosts, leandiswade.com, saraharcherwrites.com, or spellboundpublicrelations.com. And by the way, we won't spam you because that takes way too much time. All right, good stuff. Let's uh, let's jump to uh, Act Three. We're going to be doing uh, book recommendations. We've also got five elevator pitches. Uh, they've piled up in the last couple of weeks. We're going to play those. And for you that are listening, uh, who have written a book or got one that's coming out, you too can do your elevator pitch. Just go to the website, um, go to the uh, contact tab of the website, charlotterspodcast.com. You'll find uh, a drop-down link there for elevator pitches. It'll show you how to do it. It'll link you to our uh, to, to the audio link that uh, you can leave it. It's 30 seconds. Uh, you pitch the book and uh, we'll put it out. If you get them to us, uh, I think by the middle of September here, um, we'll probably get them up in the first of episode in October. Um, and if not by then, uh, uh, we'll do it in November. But uh, yeah, so so do that. And the first, we're going to start with book recommendations. Um, Sarah, what you got for us today? Uh, today I'm recommending a book called The Villa by Rachel Hawkins, uh, which is a really fun read. I actually read this for research for a project I've been kind of working on off and on this set in the like 1970s rock scene. Um, and I read it because this book kind of half takes place in that world. It's half set in the 70s about this group of musicians, and then half of it is in the modern day. Um, and most of it takes place at this beautiful villa in Italy. It's um, a great book. I read it too. You yeah. did? Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> there's So in the backstory, there's like something tragic that happened there years ago. And now in the contemporary part, there's a writer who's staying there with her um, best friend slash frenemy. <laughs> um, and she starts to kind of uncover more about the tragedy that happened there as she's beginning to write a book about it. I thought it was a lot of fun. It's very like pacey. Um, just like we were talking about, it really has a hook and draws you in from the very beginning and it keeps the plot moving, keeps you kind of in suspense. Um, but there's also some thoughtful commentary in there about things like balancing a career versus a personal life and friendship, um, family versus ambition, things like that. Um, it also has a little bit of that like vicarious tourism element because you get to read about the beautiful uh, town and villa in Italy and that sort of thing. Um, I thought it was a lot of fun. Did, did you like it, Landis? I really did. I think, I'm, as I remember, I listened to it uh, through Libro.fm on audiobook, and uh, it, was, uh, it had this nice you know, back-in-time connection, you know, where this woman finds this missing manuscript or something. She's trying to figure out what happened to her mother. I think that was the storyline or something, her father maybe, who had died uh, years ago or somebody that she had died. Anyway, it was a mystery within a mystery. So you had this older mystery and you had the modern day mystery um, and it had some neat twists to it. And as you said, it was set in uh, a nice villa in Italy and you made you want to go stay there. You know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Just very as long nice as right you now. don't get caught up in any <laughs> right. well, as dramatic you don't, events. <laughs> don't, don't die in the mystery. <laughs> uh, Hannah, you got one for us. Yeah, I am recommending a book called All the Dangerous Things by Stacey Willingham. And she's actually a Charleston author. So she lives there with her husband, Dogs. And she's a, a good friend of um, the bookstore, Bucks and Books, which uh, I'm 
constantly working with them. So I kind of found out about her through them. Um, the book is great. She's, I, th- I believe this was her, um, second book and it is a kind of like a psychological thriller. Like I feel like I'm always recommending those, but I, I love a good mystery, something that keep gets me hooked and then kind of dives into the past of the characters. And the whole premise of this one is the, uh, main character hasn't slept in a year basically because her son was taken from his crib. Um, and I actually had to be uh, convinced to read this one because I feel like since having Gwen, I'm a little bit more like, Oh, I don't want to read about child abduction at all <laughs> because it just right. makes me really upset. Um, but my, my dad was like, no, it's not really like that. And he was right. It's not really, um, you know, it's, it's, it is what it is, but it's not going to give you nightmares or anything. It's just, it's very good. It's kind of about her childhood and why she hasn't really been able to sleep goes into, um, kind of the balance of parenthood, like motherhood and wanting a career and marriage issues, stuff like that. And it's set in Savannah. Um, so to me, and she was from Beaufort, um, the main character. So it's, it's kind of for anyone that lives or is from the Southeast, uh, coastal towns or visits those towns. It's kind of nice cause you're going to recognize a lot of cool places. And so that was kind of a neat part of it. And then just, um, it's her trying to find her son. And, uh, it's, there's also a true crime podcast as that's mm. part of it uh she's she found a podcast and she's doing interviews and all this stuff and so i was like oh this is great so if you like true crime podcasts good crime stories southeast beach towns this one is a good one all right that sounds good well mine's not a novel but uh since uh sarah and i've been working on a novella together and uh, i wanted to share this book uh i think someone else may have mentioned it earlier um on a podcast but it's uh this is Self-Editing for Fiction Writers, the second edition by Rennie Brown and Dave King. Rennie Brown was once a senior editor at William Morrow, and then she ran a national book editing company, and Dave King was a contributing editor at Writer's Digest, an independent editor. I really enjoyed uh, reading through this book. Read it through it in a weekend. It's pretty quick. I mean, the chapters are well-marked. Uh, it's got a lot of headings and subheadings and some good examples. Uh, it's a great way to uh, go through and work on your own manuscript. And at a point where Sarah and I had been working on each other's stuff here, I thought, let me read through this and see some things. And I did, and I saw some things. And we still got some work to do to get this thing ready. But um, I do believe that reading this kind of book and putting in practice some of the things that uh, it tells you to do will cause you to notice things that your brain would have overlooked as you're writing the text. And it'll get it in better shape to send out to... uh, some beta readers, or even before you even send it to your editor, it's a good practice uh, to, to go through this because you want it to be, um, you know, as much active voice, as much lean, as much, uh, you know, as you can. Um, and uh, by doing that, I was able to knock out about a thousand words from the manuscript, which is, you think when you're looking at it, how did that happen? How did I, we just knock out a thousand words? It's, it's amazing how quickly it can happen from active to passive and getting rid of some paragraphs that you go, wait a minute, that doesn't advance the story. Or wait a minute, that I can say that in one sentence and not three sentences. So it's, it's a great uh, way to look at your own work. Uh, so you can get it online, self-editing for fiction editors, second edition. All right. You want anything to that, Sarah, to that, to that point? Yeah. No, but I think those are all great tools. Um, yeah, and, and cutting down a manuscript is such a, 
deceptively hard thing to do. (laughs) So it's good to know um, how to not just think about like, oh, I have to cut like a whole chapter or something. But if you make those little tiny edits, like a word here, a word there, it really does add up a lot. So those are really good tips. Well, and, and it's, you know, some things as simple as uh, putting in the search uh, L-Y, you know, which is going to get a lot of adverbs and, you know, adjectives and that kind of thing. So, you know, it's, it's uh, or the word and or the or whatever, you know, so it's a, it's a good technique. But there's a lot of other good stuff in there, too. Anyway, check it out. Um, all right. We got elevator pitches coming. Um, we got five of them. Let's do this. They're 30 seconds or so each. Uh Let's listen in, and if you've got one you want to submit to us, uh, go to the website and do that, and uh, we'll get it up. And uh, It's a good way to practice uh, the pitch because when someone asks you what your book's about, uh, as I've said this before, if, 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 you, if you've asked somebody that and they're still talking after about four minutes, uh, mm, that's not an elevator pitch. You know? <laughs> that's, that's a slow damn elevator, actually. <laughs> <laughs> Dang. Yeah, it was going to take you that long to get up to the fl- to the floor you're trying to get to. So, all right, here we go. We got uh, Carrie Kagan. If the Devil Wears Prada, Almost Famous, and Sex in the City had a menage a trois, their offspring would be my new book, The Rise, Fall, and Return of Sarah Mandelbaum. It's loosely based on mostly hippie rocker me and my experiences trying to succeed as an editor at a high fashion magazine, which were hilarious yet hair raising. Talk about trying to jam a square peg into a round hole. Or is it a round peg into a square hole? I'll let you decide. <laughs> good one. That's a really good one. I love that. Yeah. <laughs> nice, nice quick lead there. What was that? Let's, mm-hmm. let's, let's hear that quick lead again. Hold on. If the devil wears Prada, almost famous, and sex in the city had a menage a trois, their offspring would be my new book, The Rise, Fall, and Return of Sarah Mandelbaum. All right. Love. So. <laughs> there you go that's a that's a quick entry into the end of the story there uh um all right so let's hear uh, we got lisa klein um what she's uh, offerings when 50 something beth meets mr wright and the granddaughter she never knew she had she must find the courage to start over ladies day my new book from camcat books has been called a surprise hit and a heartfelt examination of what it means to be and to have a daughter. Charlotte author Kimry Martin says, Lisa Klein's writing will appeal to fans of golf, certainly, but also to anyone who wants a heartwarming and thoroughly entertaining family drama. All right. Well done, Lisa. Lisa's been on the podcast before with her books, and this is uh, she put out several books in a year. Um, we had her other book uh, on the podcast, but uh, Ladies' Day is the Second she had out this year, and a, and a nice intro there. Let's hear that short intro again here. When 50-something Beth meets Mr. Wright and the granddaughter she never knew she had, she must find the courage to start over. All right, there you go. Good start. That's These good. first sentences, you know, kind of pull you in here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right, let's see uh, Megan Church. Megan, who did our blog today, she also submitted her pitch uh, for us listen in. Set in North Carolina in 1935, The Last Carolina Girl by Megan Church is an historical fiction novel that follows 14-year-old Leah who's growing up wild and free in her idyllic coastal setting. When tragedy strikes, she's orphaned and sent away from the only home she's ever known to live with a family in Matthews. But there's strangers who are hiding deep, dark secrets that threaten her future. Set against the backdrop of eugenics and forced sterilization, The Last Carolina Girl is a story of forgotten history, autonomy, and the people and places we ultimately call home. Home. It's available anywhere books are sold. 
All right. Well done. A lot packed into 30 seconds, yeah. right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that was good. good that was summer. good. Let's, let's hear her lead again. Set in North Carolina in 1935, The Last Carolina Girl by Megan Church is an historical fiction novel that follows 14-year-old Leah who's growing up wild and free in her idyllic coastal setting. Her idyllic coastal setting. Sounds like you, Hannah. Yeah, yeah I know. I was thinking yeah. that. I was like, sounds beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> Charleston. All right. Let's hear uh, Cheryl, uh, Cheryl Babarod now. Hi, I'm Cheryl Babarod, author of I Did My Best, about starting kindergarten, making new friends, and building confidence in oneself. All right, she got it all right Dang. there, right quick. Yeah. That's how you do it right That's there. Right. That's, that was, <laughs> That's right. <laughs> it's very succinct. All right. And then last but not least, we have uh, Mick Bennett. Let's hear what he is. Hi, I'm Mick Bennett. My novel, Take the Lively Air, is set during America's presence. Common ground is rare. When Riley Walker's firecracker red jeep collides with Gus Perkins' pickup, retribution is threatened. Violence looms. Both families are already haunted by regret. Can they discover that human frailties are best viewed through the lens of compassion? Take the Lively Air is more than a family drama. It's a tale of excavating buried grief and a map for how to move forward. Coming September 26th from Unsolicited Press. All right, another good one. Hey, that was five good uh, yeah. pitches today. Yeah, um, yeah. Five new books yeah. to check out. Appreciate that. Uh, yeah, a lot of good ones. I appreciate that, uh, folks who submitted. Uh, and uh, thank you all for listening. Uh, we just got a couple of announcements. We're going to wrap it up with what's coming uh, the rest of this month and how we're going to do it. But uh mentioned earlier um, that the uh, three of us will be at the North Carolina Rogers Network. That's the weekend of November 4th. Uh, this is a great opportunity for um, everyone to come take classes, uh, engage with other North Carolina writers. Uh, our team's been invited to present a class on writing using the Write Quote series as inspiration. Come meet Sarah, Hannah, and me. Say hello. Participate in our class and have a fun weekend. Registration is now open. You can check that out online at the uh, North Carolina Writers Network.org and click on programs and then conferences. And that's how you can sign up. And Sarah already mentioned the library. Sarah, you want to share that again? The yeah, yeah. So we've got some more um, of our library workshops coming up with the Charlotte Mecklenburg Library System um, based on the Right Quote series over the fall and winter. Um, Landis and I are going to be teaching a course at two locations of the, the library system focusing on storytelling, writing techniques, and editing. Um, they're free. The workshops are a lot of fun. You get free lunch. You get a free book. <laughs> oh, what more can you ask for? Um, they've been very interactive so far. We've had great groups of people, a lot of discussion, um, also some writing exercises in there. And you get to hear from other writers about their experiences and hear from the authors um, in these books and the quotes and what they share there. Um, if you didn't attend one of the first sessions, this one is freestanding. So you don't have to worry about uh, being behind the game. But if you did attend one of the earlier ones, this is going to have a slightly different focus and different activities. So you can feel free to come out again and join us at another library branch. So um, look out for details in our newsletter and we'll be posting links to register for those events. Yeah, and you can uh, sign up for the Charlotte Mercury Library um, newsletter as well, uh, the writing newsletter they have, and get information about it there. Or you'll see it in our newsletter if you'll sign up for that at charlotteridgepodcast.com. We'll be having information about that too. And as I said, um, you know, these workshops, I said you get a you get a free book, 
you get a free lunch and you get free advice. And I'm just trying to figure out who would not want to go to something like that. <laughs> Lots <you know>? of free. <laughs> <laughs> Lots of free stuff there. Um, all right. Well, we've had uh, another hour of fun here uh, on the podcast. And we want to thank you all for listening. Thanks for hanging with us. And uh, this long, we're going to, so say we're going to do something a little bit different um, in September and October, November, December. We're going to have these kind of episodes the first of the month and then we'll have individual interviews by individual hosts uh, that'll take place for the other uh, Tuesdays in the month and Sarah will in her melodious voice tell us uh, what's coming uh, in September yeah we've got some uh, great author interviews coming up this month on September 12th we're going to feature Susan Zarenda author of The Girl from the Red Rose Motel Ron Rash, who's the best-selling author of Serena, says, This excellent novel gives the reader superb insight into how events at a high school can ripple out to reveal the alliances and divisions within a whole town. Zorenda's characters are complex, and their story is deeply moving without veering into sentimentality. Bravo. It's very high praise from a um, very well-regarded writer. Then on September 19th, we're going to feature Martin Clark, who's the author of The Plinko Bounce, which is a legal thriller by the writer that the New York Times has called not only the thinking man's John Grisham, but maybe better, the drinking man's John Grisham. (laughs) I love that. Um, Entertainment Weekly also says Martin Clark is hands down our finest legal thriller writer. So we're super excited about that interview. On September 26th, we feature Brian Biswas, author of The Astronomer, which is an exploration of the nature of reality, the workings of the mind, and one man's journey to find his place in the universe. Kirkus Reviews calls the book an engrossing tale that explores the vicissitudes of an unusual mind. Um, that one's going to be a lot of fun. And then lastly, on October 3rd, we're going to be back together as a team for another three-host episode. Um, we're going to focus on book eight in the Right Quotes books series, which is called Publishing and Book Marketing. And then we're also going to have our book recommendations and check in with the hosts and local events and more. All right, uh, Hannah, you want to remember how to take us out? Oh my gosh, it's been a while, but I guess so. (laughs) (laughs) All right, everybody, just read on, ride on, and rock on. There you go. (laughs) Still got it. I do. Still got it. (laughs)